Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the Brand Quest podcast. I'm John Lee. And I'm Allison Fortune. And we're super excited to have you with us for our first season where we're going to take you on a behind the scenes tour of the stories of what actually happened to build billion dollar brands. Today, we're going to talk in our first episode about a brand that has really risen and defined the time period of kind of between 2008 and 2018. And that's the Kardashians. Right. We're going all the way back before the Kardashians were the Kardashians, even before the OJ trial which some of you may not know how involved they were in that situation. We're going to talk about the sex tape, and then we're going to break it down and tell you how you can use these secrets with your own brand. Yeah, this is really a story about proven models, people becoming famous for being famous, and the attention economy. Where we want to pick up the story is in 1978, where Robert and Kris Jenner get married. I think Kris is really the protagonist of this story. She's the person who's driven the entire Kardashian brand and really is one of the great hackers of attention and one of the big winners in what Tim Wu, uh, author of the book Attention Merchants, calls the attention economy. Yes. So they got married in 1978. And then on their honeymoon, Chris got pregnant with Courtney. So she really didn't get the opportunity to have that like rich housewife experience that I think she kind of married Rob for. She really wanted to be in the in crowd, move up from where she was in San Diego. You know, she had been selling donuts and she was a flight attendant. Then all of a sudden she's this millionaire's wife and part of this up there family in the Brentwood area. Yeah, I mean, Robert Kardashian was basically the DUI lawyer for the stars, right? Um, he wasn't so much a trial lawyer, and in fact, I think that's emphasized in the OJ series and the documentaries, right? It was not really him being the guy making your arguments in court, but if you got a DUI, he knew all the people to schmooze and all the, all the judges and stuff like that to get you let off on a lenient sentence. And Chris was kind of the prototypical born in San Diego but determined to make it in Hollywood type woman. So they actually end up getting divorced in 91, and Chris starts dating Bruce Jenner, who obviously is going to factor in a lot. I think before we get to the trial, we should talk about the things that she did with Bruce Jenner sure. that were the prototype for what would happen with Kim 20 years later, uh, or more, almost 30 years later. Because it's really important, when she met Bruce Jenner, Bruce was not rich, he no. was not the guy on the Hollywood scene anymore. She probably didn't know how far he'd fallen. Yeah, I mean, I think from the stuff I read, he was still living in Malibu, but he had failed as an actor. He tried to cross over and be like, on, ironically, like an O.J. Simpson who crossed right. over into Airplane and stuff, but he was just very wooden. There's a whole passage in it in the book by Ian Halperin about the Kardashians, about how he just wasn't a very good actor. So he got a lot of shots at it, right? They tried him in a bunch of things. I think they even tried like a... They, they might have even auditioned him for like the $6 million man or like a leading role in things and he just wasn't a good enough actor. Right. Also foreshadowing here is that Chris met Bruce at the time when her star was kind of at the lowest, right? Robert had cut off her credit cards. Yes. He needed to go beg Robert for them to get married. And in 2011, when Kim starts dating Kanye, both of them were at a crossroads and at a low point as well. So kind of one of those time is a flat circle things. Right. So, so we know that they got divorced. We know that Chris is now with Bruce. 
Let's go into 1994. Before the trial, we all know about the car chase, but a lot of people don't know what Rob's role in that situation was. Right. So the first thing is Robert Kardashian took a bag from OJ on the night of his initial arrest. The bag was never turned over. The Kardashians have said that they turned it over to the police. There is no record of it. That's from Vincent Pelosi's OJ book that's in the documentary. There's there's a lot of proof that there's no record of that ever happening, despite Robert Kardashian claiming till he died that, that, that he did turn that bag over. The second thing is what's in the bag. No one's really sure. There's rumors that it was the murder weapon, bloody clothes, who knows? So that's where he first comes in. And Robert was really good friends with OJ to the point where OJ was crashing in his house when he got divorced with, from Nicole right before the murder. Stuff like that. And Chris and Rob used to go on family vacations with Nicole and OJ. So you'll see later in the trial or after the trial, Chris claims that she had no idea that there was a domestic violence situation. However, as it's very evident, because she is bruised and beaten kind of to a pulp. So uh, one of those situations where you just kind of have to say, oh, I had no idea, but it's kind of impossible that you would have no idea. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen the OJ Made in America documentary, you've seen the police photos of Nicole. Like, I mean, it would be weeks of healing before she would be able to kind of look normal. Unless you're constantly believing this woman's falling down the stairs and getting into like car accidents that don't affect the car, but affect her. It'd be tough. Also kind of creepy was Chris wore Nicole's clothes to trial. Yes. She was consistently wearing Nicole's hand-me-down maternity clothes to the trial while she was pregnant with Kendall. And then when Kendall was born, she named Kendall's middle name Nicole after this. So not only during the trial was she wearing the dead woman's clothes of the man who was on trial that her husband was defending, she then went on to name her daughter after that. You got to think about the daughters here, right? So at the time of the trial, you've got Courtney, who's like 16, turning 17, somewhere around there. Kim's around 15. Uh, Chloe's like 10, turning 11. So already a little bit older and definitely old enough to kind of have a fully formed memory of this trial and kind of the public perception of their father, which wasn't great. Another right. thing to kind of keep in mind here, I think, is just the rumors about OJ and being Khloe Kardashian's father. The, the, the Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So much alleged. A lot of alleged. <laughs> but in the book I read on the Kardashians by Ian Halperin, there's parts where Chris admits she had some sort of fling with OJ. Timeline's unclear. But I think you can just kind of look at the heights of the girls and, and see that one of these things is not like the other, right? I mean, Courtney's 5'1", Kim's 5'2". Chloe claims to be 5'10", but as someone who's like 5'11", 6 feet-ish, I've stood next to her in a club and she's taller than me. So that's, that's one of those basketball heights where she's rounded down a little bit. And, you know, while the Jenner kids are kind of tall, none of the other Kardashian kids are tall at all. Even Rob, the boy, is, is fairly small uh, and short. So also, Chloe doesn't look like the other two, Not right? I mean, before she had the head and body transplant, she looked very different than the other two in the face, in the body. She's got wider shoulders. You know, kind of looks like a linebacker. A little bit, a little mm. bit. So Gosh. the world will never know, but that is a rumor that is out there for sure. As we know, the trial was in 1995. Kim graduated from eighth grade in 1994. And in 94, it was on June 17th that the car chase happened. However, about two weeks before that, there's this home video of Kim saying that no matter what, she is going to be famous. 
So it's not even a, a couple of months or a couple of years after that that her family is catapulted. And like you said, fame has always been a Kardashian family value. Chris courted fame. It's part of why she married Robert was to get into those circles. And that's kind of going to be a tactic, a networking tactic, let's call it, of the Kardashians from here on out. Right. So 95, trial's over. Now Chris is with Bruce. They're doing some infomercials. He's got some more appearances. She starts to manage him, right? And this is really the beginning of Kris Jenner manager, right? right? And manager is one of those things where there's no real qualifications other than having clients. Right. She actually trademarked the term momager because she was the first Hollywood momager. Not that she was the first mom to manage her daughters, but the fact that she thought to trademark that was kind of... Shows you where her business acumen is. I mean, again, you can say what you like about Chris, and I'm sure we will in this podcast, <laughs> but, you know, like, she's a sharp lady, she's a she good is. businesswoman, and she had some foresight and a plan of what she wanted to do with her family business, and it really is a family business, right? Like, she mm -hmm. kept it all in the family, she, like, made sure her grandkids were taken care of, and, like, her family was going to be okay for the rest of their lives. Right, and the family value part of this is really important because having that network built in is kind of what made Kim impervious to a lot of the things that people who came before her were not impervious to, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. There's a few things that we should kind of just like uh, frame our discussion around. I think the first thing to understand is that Kim kind of is the ethnic beauty of this time period, yes. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like in the 90s, you had Salma Hayek, you had Jennifer Lopez. Um, ironically, Jennifer Lopez known for also having a big ass, but if you look at them side by side, there's a pretty clear, the, the definition of what makes a big ass has changed a lot in the yes. last 20 years. Yes. Um, and so I think Kim is the non-white, non-heroin chic kind of... Yeah beauty ideal that starts getting established around 2005, 6, 7, 8, as Paris Hilton's kind of fading out, right. um, and Kim is on the rise. So I think it's important to kind of think about her in that way. Um, and then I think it's also important to kind of think about her, if not as kind of a feminine, a feminist icon, as some sort of like feminist empowerment tool, because I think a lot of the time, the things that she used to kind of get into fame are often things that were used to end women's careers earlier in their career, right? So we'll talk about the 67 documented naked pictures of her. 69. 69. 69. Sorry. Nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that like the use of the sex tape works differently for her than for anyone else. Yeah. So let's start when Kim's kind of a teenager and she starts dating TJ Jackson, right? TJ Jackson. One of the big Kardashian things is networking, right? They use dating as a networking tool. Um, they even use marriage as a networking tool. Everything is a business relationship, right? This is not one of the takeaways. No. Zero out of 10, do not recommend. Right, <laughs> right. But this is, this is something that they've done, right? right? They kind of have like a dream 100 of dating candidates yes. that they kind of reached out to. Now, if you want to learn what a dream 100 is, we're going to be posting a blog post about that very soon. So stay tuned at friendquestpodcast.com. Check out our blog over there where you're going to find a lot of information about that kind of thing. Definitely. And be sure to leave questions if there's any terms we use that you don't understand. So she starts dating Tito Jackson Jr. That's TJ Jackson, Tito Jackson's son. Um, and here's kind of the levels thing with Paris Hilton, right? Because we're going to come to Paris Hilton pretty quickly as we get into the Kim Kardashian story because she really followed the Paris Hilton, Jessica Simpson business model to a T, right? She started off doing club appearances. She got on reality TV. She released a sex tape. She then turned that into a product line. 
and then used her reality TV show to kind of fuel the rise of products. So very much what, what Paris did, very much what Jessica Simpson did a little bit, but Paris was very much the business model, and Paris is something, someone she meets pretty early on. Right. Not only was Paris the business model, it was like the exact products, right? We got perfume. We've got um, music. music. Yep. We've got attempting to get into like some movies. Athletic wear. We've mm-hmm. got, yeah. Yep. It, it follows almost exactly. Sex so. tape. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really almost single white female, like in the way that Kim and Chris, you got to think, were able to copy Paris Hilton. But before we get to the Paris Hilton stuff, let's quickly talk about this first marriage of Kim's. Oh, yes. Because this I think is this is something that kind of sets the table. Mm-hmm. And this is something that most people don't know about her. In fact, Chris Humphreys, her second husband, did not know yeah. this yeah. about her. <laughs> so when she's 19, she marries a music producer named Damon Thomas, who's much older than her. He's kind of hooked into these circles. And in establishing her type, he is an African-American gentleman who works in the music industry. They are married for three years. And in that time, there's allegations of infidelity both ways. And Kim even goes so far as to accuse him of domestic violence, leading to their divorce and a kind of interesting divorce settlement. Yes. So out of this, being a music producer in Hollywood, you can kind of imagine the wealth levels. Granted, he wasn't one of the highest paid, but in this divorce settlement, she only got paid $56,000, which was a direct flat payment. There was no alimony. There was no ongoing support. It was just, here is $56,000, which is typically done if there's like a liquid asset breakup. And that's it. There was nothing more to it, which especially in situations where there's domestic violence accusations, this is a very weird kind of settlement to come out. It's kind of a go-away settlement, it right? It really is. Um, more than anything. It's like, what is it going to take to get rid of you? And like, what's the bare minimum number? Yes. So, but kind of interesting, right? And and the allegations of cheating are like with famous people. Um, so again, this is pre-social media. So there's no pictures, but, you know, a lot of stuff being slung around on both sides that would later come to define other Kardashian relationships. Right. That divorce happens before she becomes friends with Paris Hilton. Right. So let's talk about Paris Hilton. So Paris Hilton, kind of the original bad girl of page six and really the first reality TV superstar. Paris Hilton starts taking these very racy pictures with her sister, Nikki, who goes a very different route. Very different Um, route. But they start taking pictures when they're in their teens with David LaChapelle, a very famous photographer. They're they're wearing see-through shirts, so it's actually like I mean... As teenagers. Sh- right. Yeah, I mean, underage, underage girls. They're yes. underage. Like, those are... Uh, yeah, I don't know what the exact term is, but whatever. It's not great. Um, <laughs> the term is not great. Um, and they're in page six for, for all these, like, dating older men and dating famous people. And then they give Paris Hilton this show called The Simple Life in 2002, along with Nicole Richie. Yes. Who is Lionel Richie's daughter, right? Also another kind of always in the press party animal underage right. heiress... Exactly. They were like the apex of the Hollywood party scene. And that's why they were given this reality show. This hadn't been a model that had really been tested before that. This is the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, we're talking Survivor, Fear Factor, Mm -hmm. Road Rules, Real World. That's basically the only reality shows that have come out. And the premise of The Simple Life was actually taking them to a farm and making them do like normal everyday chores, right? Because they're these party, fast-paced girls. They do the Simple Life, and that starts to blow up, right? The Simple Life is super popular. It's one of the first big winner reality shows in the early 2000s. Now they've hit another level of fame. Now Paris is getting paid, you know, $50,000, $100,000 to do club appearances. 
And so again, beginning of the 2000s, like I'm 36, I started uh, being able to go to clubs in 2005. So this is around then, 2004, I'm like sneaking in with fake IDs, but you see the flyers and Paris Hilton's everywhere. But Paris also has some personal problems, which you can right. Google. She's had some arrests, uh, some trips to various places for six weeks to 12 weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. And she becomes a little unreliable. At the same time, Kim has kind of started this new hustle where she's kind of the closet eBay queen to the stars. She does it for Paris. They like quickly become friends, start partying because Paris doesn't have a lot of friends. As Allison mentioned earlier, one of the things that kind of allowed Kim to build a better model on top of the Paris model was the fact that she had these sisters that allowed her to kind of have extra women to bring around for social capital, right? Because in Hollywood, having extra pretty women around is just a currency. It's a thing. Yes. So, but she didn't have to bring in people who were competitive with her versus exactly. Paris who brought in people like Kim who eventually usurped her. As soon as she starts hanging out with Paris, she actually makes friends and starts submitting herself every single week to In Touch magazine, right? This is a weekly thing. And at the time, In Touch had a rule that they would not put anybody in the magazine who was not on TV. So... Paris starts using as many of her friends as she can just to get any kind of spot on TV. In fact, she was in a scene on the hills that they cut out. She was there for 90 seconds. They cut it out. That wasn't good enough, so she went on The Simple Life for like two scenes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Kim's trying to be on any reality show she can be on. And it's also around this time where she meets Brandy through this hustle of the cleaning out the closet for eBay. And Brandy's brother is Ray J, who she eventually makes the famous sex tape with. But let's just go back to Paris for a second, because Paris also has a sex tape. And Paris has a sex tape with Rick Solomon, who was her on and off again boyfriend when she wasn't dating like the guy from Sum 41 or Benji Madden or a variety of other kind of like famous rich men. Her sister, on the other hand, goes the other way and marries a rich hedge fund guy, James Meester, in 2005. They're married for a little while, but eventually in 2015, she creates the greatest power surname in the history Ever. of the world <laughs> by marrying James Rothschild, thus becoming Nikki Hilton hyphen Rothschild. Um, so Badass, just like good on you, Nikki. <laughs> kind of just an awesome uh, little power building thing that she did outside of what Paris is doing. So Paris has the sex tape, and the sex tape actually doesn't go great for Paris. I mean, it keeps her in the press. But it doesn't really help her that much because right. it's on her decline, right? And also it's like in night vision and it's she's being kind of weird. A like night in Paris. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange right. sex tape. Also, Rick Solomon was married to Shannon Doherty at the time, so she's cheating. Which uh, Shannon Doherty also has a sex tape. Also has right? a sex tape. Correct. All comes back together. But yeah, so then Paris is club hosting and she starts to kind of lose these gigs as well because she only shows up maybe 50% of the time. In 2005, it was a pretty well-known thing that, like, she wasn't always going to show up. If she did show up, she'd often be drunk or worse, and she wouldn't be particularly nice to people, especially the people that worked at the clubs. Now, here's one of those kind of secret things that you probably haven't thought about in the rise of the Kardashians that made a big difference, and that is that Kim, at this time, was 100% sober, and even to this day, has maybe a glass of wine at things, but, like, she's not a drinker, she's not a drug doer, she's not a partier. And she's nice and sweet to people, right? I read a lot. I read multiple books. I read multiple articles. There's not a lot of things saying she's like a diva. There's not, you don't get a lot of like, she's mean to the crew. She abuses people. Right. There's none of that. It's mostly she's nice. She's sweet. Yes. You know, she stays and signs autographs. She takes pictures with people. 
Yes, and that sobriety thing is something that actually Kris Jenner, her manager at the time, used for all three of the girls to get a premium on their contracts because it made them much more reliable, especially at these club appearances. Yeah, and so at this point, Paris actually starts to pivot into music and DJing, right? And again, even the DJing, she's only showing up so much, so it doesn't work so great. She also starts to like get more interested she dates Afrojack the DJ at a, at a certain point a little bit later but she kind of tries to pivot into this like techno music scene EDM right which creates one of the funniest things ever when she starts giving <laughs> interviews yes. um, where she starts speaking a little differently using African-American vernacular and she frequently starts talking about how she's like self-made and she didn't take money from her family yes. and she just kind of did everything mm-hmm. her on her own which is hysterical from Paris Hilton but which is another thing that Kim Kardashian takes note of because one of Kim Kardashian's branding points becomes independent businesswoman, yes. entrepreneur, yep. opportunistic, doesn't say no to things, right? Not she takes she takes pride in this kind of being an entrepreneur, being a businesswoman, and that's going to kind of come to define all of the Kardashian brands. Right, to the point where... Kylie is the first quote-unquote self-made billionaire. Right. So it becomes like a family thing passed down to the next generation, generation of Kardashians. And that's like one of those things that shows the power of branding, right? Because not true, right? I mean, like there were a lot of things that went into the building of Kim Kardashian. The biggest thing we're going to talk to in a second and really the question that the whole podcast probably rests on, which is, would you sell your child's sex tape for $5 million? Would you sell your child's sex tape for $5 million? However, also, uh, Chris herself made $500,000 because as the manager, she momager. did 10%. Yes, momager. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Let's get into the sex tape because this is really the fulcrum around which the Kardashian brand is built, right? right. Um, in later years, I think this has been de-emphasized by them a lot, but- the sex tape was not just a sex tape that stood alone because there's a lot going on in 2007 when this sex tape gets released. Yes. Sex tape is released in March as its first release. Final release is April 27th. However, February of 2007, Kris Jenner meets with Ryan Seacrest, a person that she had known through kind of the Hollywood industry for a while. And they decide that they want to start filming this family reality show which had never been done before and Ryan Seacrest pays out of pocket to start filming having no idea whether or not this is going to be a success. Chris guarantees its success of course not hinting that she already has this sex tape that they're going to release. Yeah I mean by all accounts and I mean some of this is speculation so like play the reckless speculation sound but by all accounts from a lot of sources and like various documents the sex tape rollout was planned as the first season of the kardashians big bombshell right they rolled the whole thing out at the same time and they also had her pose for playboy in the same year and in fact in one of the first like two or three episodes of the first season of the card of keeping up with the kardashians kim kind of does her best high school drama impression of someone who felt like she got tricked by playboy of all magazines convincing her to pose naked right after she's already recorded a sex tape that her mom has been negotiating on the release of right so this is not just like a basic negotiation this was planned down to the moment okay so kim and paris are out of town they're in australia continents away together stuck together at that moment two men 
unidentified, come in, all prepared with the sex tape edited and ready to go to Vivid Entertainment. They meet with Steve Hirsch that weekend. Steve Hirsch is meeting with them. He says this was the hardest deal he's ever done. And Steve Hirsch is the CEO and kind of owner of Vivid Video. And Vivid um, had been the sex tape company for a long time. They also were the first company to uh, ink a million-dollar deal with Jenna Jameson. So he would he had been pretty experienced in negotiating these kind of deals yes. before, and he's on record saying this was the toughest deal he ever negotiated. Toughest deal he's ever negotiated. So while she is in Australia, her friend at In Touch Magazine gets a hold of or gets wind of there is a sex tape of you. Calls her. Kim knows this call is coming. Well, allegedly knows this call is coming. She doesn't answer the phone. Paris Hilton answers the phone. Most famous person in the world at the time answers the phone and Kim starts crying over it. According to Kim, she was told that she has to deny, 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 even though it's very evident that it is her in the video. So she gets the call during this weekend. They come to a deal. Now with a deal, In the United States, you have to have both parties sign off saying that they can legally sell a sex tape. And this is really important because if you look at kind of some other sex tape scandals throughout time, like Pam and Tommy Lee, right? Uh, Pam and Tommy Lee, the tape was stolen by the electrician. So the tape initially leaks, then it has to be pulled off the market because they don't have consent from either of them. Eventually they work out a deal, the tape goes back on the market. You look at Hulk Hogan. His sex tape, uh, which actually eventually brought down Gawker with the help of Peter Thiel, real-life supervillain Peter Thiel. Um, And the reason that Gawker eventually went down was because they refused to take down this sex tape that they did not have consent for. And eventually they lost that $150 million lawsuit because that's the type of legal liability you're open to when you publish someone's sex tape without consent. So Vivid would not be able to publish this without opening themselves up to hundreds of millions of dollars of liability, bankrupting liability. Right. So they had a signed deal from both parties prior to releasing this tape. Another fun fact is that until about 2018, both Reggie and Kim were still making around $100,000 a year from the sales of the tape. Yes. In fact, the statistics, because I'm an analytics person, every single time Kim would come up in the news, including when she had a baby, the sales of her sex tape would spike. Can you imagine that? Like, oh, I'm having a baby. My sex tape sales are going to be fantastic this week. Yeah, and also just, I mean, it's wild to have a mom negotiate that for a child. A right? mother. Like, neg- that's pretty, I mean, I like, pretty intense. <laughs> and then it was Chris who booked her into the Playboy deal and was on set coaching her. Coaching her naked daughter at a Playboy shoot. And this was not the only Playboy shoot that these girls would do. Nor the only naked shoot, because she's been naked in a bunch of other magazines. I yes. mean, I heard. Um <laughs> But so also a thing here, which is one of the problems that's plagued the Kardashians since the beginning is this kind of sense of inauthenticity, Mm -hmm. right? We do not like the idea of people like faking things for us. And there appears to be a decent amount of evidence, even a court case that revealed that they have taped scenes after the fact for things that had already happened. So whether you believe it's a Curb Your Enthusiasm style improv show where they have a theme and they kind of like go about it you know, without a script or whether you believe it's fully scripted, these these accusations of inauthenticity have plagued the Kardashians from the beginning. 
which is one of the reasons that they kind of pivoted into social media, right? In the hacking of attention, the Kardashians are one of the first people to really recognize the changing media landscape. And I think the sex tape deal is a really good example of that because it wasn't a tape you buy, right? Like the Pam and Tommy Lee tape. It was a thing you download on the internet. So it's also tapping into streaming, which around now is kind of part of the overall idea. Netflix is going online around this time. So it's very much there. The Kardashians have great timing, right? Timing is one of those things that you can't really teach, right? You get in early. Like the first mover advantage is not always an advantage. Not always an advantage. She was using a proven model this entire time. Right. And she was able to build on the Paris Hilton model the same way that Mark Zuckerberg built on the MySpace model, which built on the Friendster model, right? Yes. So... You don't always win just because you're the first person to the market. Right. So two parts of that. They understand their audience well, right? They knew that the demographic of people that are going to be involved and watch them are going to be teenage girls. They also knew that they needed to be able to pivot quickly. And they've always, always always been able to pivot super quickly from one. And there's always a plan, but I think really Kim and Chris are the drivers of this, right? Like Chris is the the founder and Kim is her like VP, like consigliere, you know, like. And and Chris says so much in the, in Keeping Up with the Kardashians several times where, you know, she says, Kim is the most like me, right? Also important on this timeline, this year timeline, this Simple Life gets canceled yes. in August, yep. which is a couple months after the sex tape was revealed. And then not even two months later, on October 14th of 2007, is when Keeping Up with the Kardashians aired the first time. Yes. So there's like this major transition that just like crossfades out from Paris into Kim. Well, it's not quite that, that quick though, because... I don't know if you remember this, but in 2008, 2009, there were three seasons of a show called Paris Hilton's BFF. Right. Um, And that was kind of Paris Hilton's like shot across Mm -hmm. the bow back at Kim Kardashian. Like they never outwardly said it, but like the launch of the Kardashians was the end of that friendship. Really, Paris did not take that very well because she was kind of being crowded out. Right. I mean, would you use your friend's drug addiction to get ahead? I yeah, know. I mean, tell right? us over on our Facebook. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. We should put that up as a poll. Look we for that will, poll. Yes. But yeah, so Paris has this show on MTV, my new BFF, which was basically her trying to look to replace Kim. But now the Kardashians are off and running, and now it's time to start expanding into new territories, right? Like a wrestler staking out new towns. They go to Miami for Kim and Chloe Take Miami, where they open the Dash Boutique. They get into hijinks and shenanigans of various produced nature. And then things start to almost come really off the road when they go to New York. Right. Because the New York show is a little different than all of the rest of the Kardashian shows. Because the New York show is almost a dating show. Okay, guys. We want to just take a real quick coffee break. This is going to be a weekly segment or episode segment. And we're going to just basically take a little break to have a sip of coffee and talk about a little bit of lighter subjects. Yes. So today I want to talk about the out of control pitching on Facebook. Oh my goodness. It's insane. It's whoever. So first I want to offer a bounty. If you know which person has been teaching people that the way to get business on Facebook is to befriend a bunch of random people, then instantly ask them how their business is and try to pitch them. I want to know who that person is because they are my nemesis and I want to find them and fight them. So if you know who that is, 
I will send you $100 if you can send me a video clip where this person is actively telling people to go do that because that person is my nemesis and we must find them. Yes, screenshot every time somebody does this. Send them all to us. Send them to info at brandquestpodcast.com because we're going to put them all together as a wall of shame video because this is ridiculous. It's out. Of, it's to the point now where I'm like afraid to friend people. Like people send me friend requests and I'm like, oh God, are they going to pitch me? So then when they start, and then if they hit me up, like first, like with anything, I'm like, I'm good as long as you don't pitch me. Like, hey, how's it going? I'm good as long as you don't pitch me. Right. Because it's just never good pitches of, either. Never. And they're always like things that like clearly show you did not pay any attention. I got one. I just signed up for a Grant Cardone uh, group, like 10X group. And immediately someone from there like hit me up and was like, do you know who Grant Cardone is? And I'm like, I'm in the group. Yes. Like, obviously. obviously I know who he is or I would not have joined said group, which you could see. Yeah, it's out of control. And then like, I got another one that had like three questions in a row. It was like, hey, John, how are you? I'm great. How's business? Hope it's going well. Like, I was like, you're yes. supposed to wait for me to like respond in between before you do that. It is out of control. Do not do this, guys. I mean, it's like sending dick pics, right? Like, it's one of those things that, like, it's so low yield. Like, maybe it worked one time for, like, a friend of yours, but it's not going to work, and it's going to make you look terrible. So just don't do it. Yes. So what I want to talk about today, you guys might know that I'm kind of the ads guru on Facebook, and I hate that word. Guru is not the right word. But I'm kind of the ads girl, and... Something that a lot of people have been posting about or worried about has been that there's this ad apocalypse going on, right? So there was this notification if you do any Facebook ads that says, oh, Apple is changing their terms and your ads are not going to be as successful. That is a play by Facebook in order to break down some of Apple's terms of service. It is not because there's going to be some like massive loss in inventory of your ads. Your ads are not all of a sudden gonna start not working or being extraordinarily more expensive. It's just a play by the companies to kind of get at each other really. And again, remember that these are publicly traded companies, right? Facebook is very much an ads-based business. So, and they also have a history of not necessarily playing by the rules. So my guess is that if anything comes along that does threaten that ad revenue, things will be done internally, whether they're legal or not, that will make right. sure they keep getting that money, right? Yes. Like once a company goes public and if a company's main source of money is ad revenue, please believe that it is in their best interest to do everything they can to keep that ad money flowing. Even so, if it means scaring you. Yeah. Yes. So again, yeah, there this is this is all posturing between Facebook and Apple just like Allison said. They're trying to basically be like, "Oh, well look, like we're going to keep your clients from having like successful business. Maybe they'll leave Apple." And Apple will probably like respond in kind. But as you'll learn in our next episode on Uber, Apple often does things with services that use the app store and tries to exert some control over them. And those apps don't always just lay down and roll over. So yes. And we're going to be talking about Apple in an episode later on in this season. So we will. Keep an eye out for that. Yeah. If you are one of the members of the cult of Steve Jobs, you might want to listen to that episode. Also, if ads are something that you do regularly or something that you want to learn more about, we do have a course that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks that teaches you start to finish ads, whether you have done a million different campaigns before or have never touched the platform. So keep an eye out for that. And right now you can also download a free ebook on our website 
website on ads um, just to get you started. So yes. you can get that at www.brandquestpodcast.com. That's going to wrap it up for our coffee break. And now we're going to get back to the show. Kim had dated Kanye West already, briefly. Kanye originally appears on Keeping Up With The Kardashians, dated. But he appears in 2010, shortly after the Taylor Swift scandal. And there's talk of them having like a little bit of an affair on the show. But then Kim starts dating this guy, Chris Humphreys, who's kind of a journeyman NBA player. But because NBA salaries have kind of exploded at this time, Chris Humphreys is a very wealthy man. Chris right. Humphreys has career contracts signed worth $74.7 million. So even at this time, he's making like in the eight figures every year from basketball, guaranteed. So that becomes an important point in this union because they decide to get married pretty quickly. Yes. And they announced this show, they announced the marriage and the engagement on the show. There's an episode of Kim of Keeping Up with the Kardashians called The Proposal, where Chris is going to propose to Kim, then she starts what appears to be a kind of fake fight, runs away, and then he eventually proposes to her in a more simple manner. It's one of the episodes that people believe is pretty highly produced. You can Google kind of what people <laughs> believe about that episode. But they now are engaged to have this on-air wedding called, I believe, Kim's Fairy Wedding. My Fairy Tale Wedding. That's there it, it is. Was. So they get married, mm -hmm. and in this wedding, they take a ton of money from sponsors. This wedding costs, and this is like, right at this time, there were some other wedding shows coming up on TLC. This was the start of the dress show on TLC. A lot of wedding stuff. It's right? also 2012, so we're starting to come out of the 2008 crash, so mm -hmm. things are just kind of getting bigger. It's not just Kim's right. ass that's getting bigger no. in this time period. It's it's trucks, it's McMansions, it's mm -hmm. everything's getting bigger. The American dream is kind of growing from three-room house and two cars in the garage to like a mansion and being famous and being a millionaire as well. Right, so the total cost of the wedding is over $2 million. Hmm. However, how much do they pocket from this? So there's different numbers. Uh, they took in $27 million in total. Estimates are that between production and stuff, they came away with between like 18 and 20 something million dollars. Man, if I could get paid $20 million to get married, I would probably do that even if I didn't like the dude. But it's almost a little bit of a poison pill here too, because yes. in signing all these contracts, Kim also signs on for after marriage activities, yes. endorsements, stuff like that. And so after they get married, they're in this hotel in New York for like three weeks ostensibly, but really like less than 10 days. <laughs> Because they get into an argument where Chris, and remember, Chris is making, you know, $12, $13 million a year this year, goes to Kim and goes, look, let's just get out of here. Like, let's do a honeymoon with just the two of us and focus on us and our relationship. Kim does not agree. Not only does she not agree, she starts talking about the contracts they've signed, and eventually Chris leaves the hotel, and that's really the end of their marriage. They they end up getting divorced, I think, 72, 72 days. 72 days later. As soon as the annulment period passes, they're getting divorced. Yeah. Can you imagine getting married, and immediately afterwards, you're like, hey, I'm so glad we're married, let's have a right. relationship. And she's like, hold on a minute. And you we don't gotta get need, this green stuff. And you don't need the money either, no, too, right? Like this is almost do. just greed because he's like, you guys are taken care of. You have you she's made enough money at this point that she's a multimillionaire in and of herself with with business interests that are bringing right. in passive income, right? She's got totally. products at this point, she's yeah. got endorsements. He's a basketball star with an eight-figure contract. Like, you don't need the money. 
but you know that's what was important to her or if not the money the fame right like this is might be one of those things where the drug dealer gets hooked on their own supply right fame was very much the thing that the kardashians are selling right you can be famous for doing nothing you can be famous just because you work hard and you are an entrepreneur and you create products and you push them and you promote yourself now while that is possible, you can be famous for being an entrepreneur and working hard. There are ways to do it and not to do it. And I think you can get a sneak peek into that with... It's a thing I call fame mechanism. The Kardashians, there's two pretty obvious fame mechanisms. A fame mechanism is just something that's very recognizable that when you see it instantly speaks to someone famous. The Michael Jordan silhouette, the Nike swoosh, Kim Kardashian's butt. Kylie Jenner's lips. So those are fame mechanisms. And we've actually put together a three-part mini-series on our Patreon about Kylie Jenner's rise as the first self-made billionaire of the Kardashian crew and her kind of use of fame mechanisms, social media, and some other pretty interesting techniques. So if you want more of that, you can go subscribe to our Patreon at the $5 level and get access to that right away. But yeah, so I mean, I think while that's happening, there's still this authenticity thing, right? Yes. Because they're on social media and that still feels authentic at this point. In, in 2012, you know, Twitter's only three years old. Facebook's eight years old. It's the start of Instagram rising. Like Instagram was still the kind of fourth or fifth most popular. I think they just introduced Facebook ads in 2012, right? Nope, so, that was 2010. 2010, but yes, okay. But only a few enough, years, yes, only a few years before, right? <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the, Facebook ads were not the kind of thing no, that they have become. They were not. So it's a very different landscape and the Kardashians are one of the first people to kind of tap into that. Like Kim was even using crowdsourcing to kind of pick the shade of her lipsticks when she started producing cosmetics. Yeah, and the color of the perfume box that she sold her perfume was a Twitter poll, which was very early. And in yeah. fact, it's only a few hues off of the color of the box that Paris is came out with and then i mean i think you have to look at them being the drivers of instagram in a lot of ways yes. because kim kardashian was the most followed person on instagram for a long time until she was surpassed by her, her sister, sister. <laughs> yes. right so um yes. instagram is another thing they recognized that that platform kind of uniquely played to their advantage which was posting kind of like cheesecakey photos of themselves and lifestyle photos right it also helps if you can get a photographer to take nude pictures that just like almost break terms of service, but not really. Exactly. Yeah, Breaking helps. the internet, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Now at this point, they have some problems with the press. So this marriage falls out. Chris Humphreys is not particularly quiet about it. He <laughs> openly questions it in the press. Mm -hmm. He basically goes kind of silent. Another interesting aside is that during this time, Kanye is kind of wiling out and writes these lyrics in the song Theraflu about how he was in love with Kim, but she was in love with him, and he's lucky he didn't have Jay drop him from the team. Jay-Z being a minority owner of the Brooklyn Nets, the basketball team that Chris Humphreys played for at that time. So Kanye is kind of openly pining for, for Kim at this time. So here we find both Kim and Kanye kind of at low points. At their lowest in their career that mm -hmm. they have ever been. Right. Yes. To the point where business lawyers and agents were openly giving quotes to People magazine about how if they represented brands that invested in the Kardashian Humphrey wedding, they would be looking to sue for fraud. Right. Yes. On the record quotes. On the record. You can Google yes. them and find them. At this point, like the Kardashian brand is the lowest it's ever been. Kanye West brand is the lowest it's ever been because he hasn't put out an album in a while. He had the Taylor Swift thing. And he debuts his fashion line in 2011 to really bad reviews in Paris. Right. 
So he's now just lost a lot of money. Estimates of up to $600 million later on. But at this point, he's lost eight figures, maybe nine on this right. passion line. He's got a negative Q rating at this point. Him and Kim are both two of the lower Q rated celebrities in the world. Now, what's a Q rating? So Q rating is basically a brand popularity tool. So it's basically a survey of famous people to see how much their feedback is popular versus negative. Dolly Parton is one of the highest Q-rated people of all time. She all she oftentimes is the number one celebrity Q-rated person because she's a saint and single-handedly funded the vaccine and everyone loves her, right? right? On the other hand, you have guys like Travis Kalanick, who we'll talk about in our next episode, who was the CEO of Uber, who had like a famously record low Q-rating. <laughs> So it's kind of just a popularity contest, but it kind of shows where public sentiment is on you and, you know, if you're trustworthy or not. Kim and Kanye, low Q ratings. Both voted very untrustworthy at this right. point. Right. And same with the whole brand. And that's like 2012. Then we get into 2013. This is season seven of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which was kind of a relaunch rebrand for them. Yes. Also, we get into them now dating, where now Kanye's on the show kind of a lot. Yes. They've kind of created a Walmart level version of Jay-Z and Beyonce. So they're not going to get invited to invest in Uber or like these celebrity venture capital deals. But if you need to sell a product in Walmart or somewhere like that, they're a pretty good double implied endorsement. So it's like they're not selling the $2,000 product, but they're selling the 497 product that'll get you the same secrets. Exactly. And around this time, we kind of also have the attempt of Chris of kind of centering herself with her failed talk show, Chris. Not just her failed talk show. So a lot of people don't know there are a lot of things that the Kardashians have failed at. Mm -hmm. While we have this survivorship bias, right, we look at them, we're like, wow, every idea they've had is a million dollar idea. It is not. They have fallen on their face a lot. So we have the show, mm -hmm. which she filmed a total of six weeks for, yep. aired three episodes. I believe, yeah, something like that. And then we also, at that same time, she was introducing a brand called Zestra, which is this female arousal oil. Now, you can imagine, as the a famous daughter of this woman who's like openly on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, talking about female arousal oil. And so this could be one of those things where like market research almost leads you wrong, right? Yes. They've gotten the sex tape went over well, mm -hmm. right? The various enclaves into their bedrooms went over well. Like sex is selling for them as a brand. Mm -hmm. And Chris goes, okay, maybe we need a sex product, except there's also the flip side of that, which is that they often go out of their way to talk about how they're like pious and they're not really into showing their bodies. So there's kind of like a weird Madonna whore type complex that they play into a lot. So it kind of makes sense that that would flop. Another of the flops, and this one actually almost got them in trouble legally, was the Kardashian card, K-H-A-R-D. This high fee debit card, essentially, that you would load up, a prepaid debit card, kind of like Russell Simmons's Rush card, which also got into similar problems, but it would charge you like almost a dollar per transaction. And it was even called predatory. So that was taken off the market pretty quickly. But again, like not all of their ideas are great. They were mm -hmm. able to dominate, you know, a large portion of time in the attention economy in a time where it's easier than ever to lose attention because there's thousands of blog posts, there's new TV shows, there's streaming, there's so many things competing for our attention, but they didn't bat a thousand, right? And I think that's right. important to keep in mind as well is that no one's going to bat a thousand and you can be wildly successful and build a billion dollar brand while not betting a thousand. Right. And the other thing to keep in mind is that while something might sell and might make you money, 
it is definitely not always going to be a good idea or not always going to be the best thing that you should continue doing. Sex sells, sex doesn't sell sex stuff, right? And yep. money sells, but money doesn't sell money stuff. Um, and they learn these things pretty quickly as they kind of move on in their branding. And they mastered it by the time they got down to Kylie. Yeah, and I think that's the last part of the story. The Kanye marriage really like breathes new life into the Kardashian brand. And also... It shows a new model forward because from before they're, they're they're dating athletes a lot, a few entertainers, but the entertainer marriage with Kanye paves the way for the then partnership of Travis Scott and Kylie Jenner, where they date publicly for a while. Kylie also, while underage, may have dated that Tyga guy. There's right. some creepy stuff going on there. Happening. So I think it's also interesting to note how they used plastic surgery to develop Kylie because Kylie is another person like Chloe who looks nothing like what she looked like as a child. In fact, she had no lips in the early right. days of the Kardashian show, that. only yeah. to later become a sex symbol for her lips. But I think the last thing on the story was that as the star of Kim, Courtney, and Chloe started to dim, and Chris to a degree as well, well, Chris was able to pivot again, have another plan, and move on to Kendall, who became a legitimate model, and Kylie, who has kind of become the queen of Instagram, an entrepreneur and businesswoman in her own right, and also a very famous person. Yeah, for many years running, Kendall has been one of the top three highest paid supermodels in the world. She's done, I mean, just so many amazing... Like Paris Hilton, done Victoria's Secret as well. Right. Paris's uh, proven model, still a yes. winner for them. Yes, but she also does higher end brands. Yeah. Like she was uh, Estee Lauder girl for a while. She did a lot of the high end Paris brands. So that wraps up the Kardashian story, both that you knew and didn't know. Okay, so now we've gotten to the part of the episode where we are going to talk about how you can use these tactics and which parts that you should learn from with the Kardashian story so that you can build your brand into a more successful brand. Absolutely. All right, so let's start with my first big takeaway, which we've mentioned a few times, which is start with a proven model, right? Yes. They looked at what Paris Hilton was doing to build fame, and they copied it basically exactly to the T, and that's kind of a proven thing in the business building world, right? Lyft copied Uber's model. People have copied other people like Tony Robbins, who we'll talk about in episode three, for a long time. Modeling is a proven tactic that works for building a business and for self-development. So that is the first thing to take away from this, is that while they did kind of expand and break into some new territories through social media and the changing attention economy, they started with a proven model that had worked in the old media economy and adapted that to the new landscape. In addition to that, the other idea is say yes early and often, right? As your brand grows, you'll be able to be more and more picky, but saying yes now means that you can grow in a lot of different avenues and you do not have to be reliant on other opportunities trying to find you. Yeah, absolutely. My second takeaway, give people something to aspire to. I think very early on, and this is a huge thing for branding, the Kardashian brand especially gave people something they could aspire to without having to be talented, without having to be traditionally beautiful, without having to be skinny, without having to be well-educated, well-connected. They gave you this idea that like through hard work and entrepreneurship and working with your family, you could build something that you could be proud of. And I think that that was a big part of their success, especially the family component of it was a big driver as well. All right, so my next lesson is plan your launch. Before Keeping Up the Kardashians launched, Chris had already planned it. 
and had done a lot of marketing leading up to it, including this $5 million sex tape. So she planned the launch from start to finish, and that really ensured a success for their show and their brand as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Like that show, like they probably don't get a second season without that sex tape, right? Because nothing else really happens. Third takeaway for me is use content marketing. Chris gave an interview to The Hollywood Reporter where she said, these shows are 30-minute commercials. Uh, We have a lot of fun doing Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and it's a perfect commercial for our product. We're trying to make the most of our current success, and we don't apologize for it. That's what smart businesswomen do. And from the beginning, Chris got that the TV show, whatever it paid them, was not the real thing that was going to build their wealth, right? She understood that the show was going to be used to do product placement in a way that really hadn't been done on reality TV before and that has become the norm. If you look at the Real Housewives franchise, which I think debuted in 2009, two years after the Kardashians, first couple seasons, none of them have products. By the second season, every one of them has a product, and they're very much using the Kardashian model of using the story of their show to launch their perfume line or to promote their vegan recipe cookbook or their toaster oven, right? And that became just a part of how reality shows work bringing that content marketing strategy onto reality TV. And the Kardashians were definitely the first people to do that. My last and biggest takeaway from this is brand, 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 right? Always put your brand forward. There was a really good interview, which was the same interview with Chris that I learned about this Zestra product, where the interviewer asked her about her daughters and is very much consistent with saying your daughters. However, in every single answer, Chris always says Kylie and Kendall and Kim because those are the brand names, right? I mean, look, even like the Kardashian card had a KH, right? They put KH in a lot of things for their branding. The Ks are in everything. Yes. So it was very important to her to make sure that the brands were forward, right? They're not my daughters. They are Kylie and Kendall and Kim. And she didn't even talk about Chloe or Courtney on there. I think at the time they hadn't done very many products, but this was an incredibly noticeable part, but was really important. So learn that you can put your brand forward. And when somebody asks you about your company, say, oh, BrandQuest or something that really puts your brand forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My fourth takeaway is course correct. After the Chris marriage scandal, Kim was in need of a rebrand. She found the perfect partner also in need of a rebrand in Kanye, and they were able to appeal to a new demographic. The media focus on the new couple changed the narrative from this fake marriage to now her aligning with another very mercurial and famous man and shifted a lot of her stuff onto him, right? Like he can be the problem and she can be the one kind of in the background calming things down as opposed to being the focus of the problem. Which um, we see all the way through this year. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all his political stuff, she's been in the in the background of that. And for Kanye, he was obsessed with reaching a new market for his like affordable but somewhat mediocre fashion lines, right? So preferably a demographic not known for their sophisticated taste would be ideal, which, right. you know kind of the company that had sold $900 million of stuff in Walmart or whatever. It's kind of the perfect place for him. And then my last takeaway, something we've talked about a lot, but I just want to say it again, is just know your audience. Understand who you're selling to. The Kardashians, they pretty much demonstrated an almost flawless understanding of their knowledge to the point where the show went 20 seasons and they ended it themselves, right? The show didn't get canceled. Chris decided to wind it down rather than have it kind of peter out and and die a bad death, which might damage the brand. So even towards the end, Chris is thinking brand forward and what's next. 
Exactly. Okay, guys. So that's a lot of information that we gave you with this story and those takeaways. And we want to help you implement this because we don't just want to tell you stuff and entertain you. We want to help you actually learn and grow your own business. So we're going to give you an exercise at the end of every Brand Quest podcast. And your exercise today is two parts. The first part is to pick one to two of any of those nine takeaways that we gave you, five from me, four from Allison, and use those in your business. And the second part is for you to have an accountability partner, which means share this podcast with one of your entrepreneur friends, and then you guys can be accountable with each other and showing how your business grows using some of these tips. Yeah, there's a lot of information in this podcast, so don't feel like you need to eat the elephant in one bite. You know, you can come back to it, listen to it again. There's a lot to get out of it, and hopefully it was entertaining. But make sure you do those exercises, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Kardashian Empire story. We are going to be doing something really exciting next episode. Yes. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about the largest unicorn of all time and also the largest loss IPO of all time, which is Uber. Uber is a story of law breaking, the cult of the founder, and what happens when win at all cost goes wrong. So you're definitely not gonna wanna miss that. Be sure to subscribe, give us a like, thumbs up, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you give us a four-star review, I will be inclined to personally think you are a hater. So <laughs> if you don't want that, be sure to give us a five-star. Make sure you're back here for our second episode on Uber. Also, if you want any other content from us, you can get it on our website, which is brandquestpodcast.com. You can follow us on all of the socials because we are constantly putting out not just stories, but there was where we really put our true business tips and what's made us successful as marketers, how you can use those in your brands. And then also on our Patreon, we go behind the scenes even more with the first mini series on Kylie Jenner being the first self-made billionaire. billionaire. Yeah. So. so definitely check that out and we will talk to you soon.